0: Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, Matthew chapter 10. We've been in this section um, for several weeks now uh, regarding the mission. Jesus has made it known, starting back in chapter 9, verse 35, Um, the pretense of the mission, and like like any good pastor, I I have a whole alliteration here that you can follow along with. (laughs) The pretense of the mission uh, is that there's a harvest to be had, uh, that the harvest is plentiful. Um, One problem, though, with the mission is that uh, there aren't enough workers to reap the harvest. And you can imagine Jesus speaking to his disciples, maybe maybe even as I stand up here and say this, the harvest is plentiful, uh, but the workers are few, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, I'll I'll pray for that. Or you might be thinking, I'll pray for guys like Glenn who who go out into the harvest. Um, But in the next section, as we get into chapter 10, starting in verse 1, Jesus lets his disciples know that the players of the mission are them. Jesus doesn't huddle his group together and say the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Let's just pray for the harvest. He tells his disciples, the workers, like I'm staring at the workers right now. It's you and I'm about to send you out uh, into this mission. Uh, Those of you who are disciples or those of you who are Christians, we, we wouldn't make a distinction between Christians and Christians who are disciples. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Christ. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. The word Christian actually means little Christ. And so we emulate the Christ in our Christianity. Then we get into, uh, in verse 16 of chapter 10, the probability of the mission. And this is mission impossible. Jesus tells his disciples that he's sending them out as sheep amongst the wolves. And as we talked about a few weeks back, sheep are defenseless and wolves are near the top of the food chain. And Jesus is sending them out, bottom of the food chain, to go minister to, the top of the food chain. How do you think that's going to go? It's an impossible mission at best, except that the one who is sending us on the mission, if we fast forward to the end of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 28, we're told that all authority has been given to Jesus. And not just on earth, but in heaven too. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And he points that out. And then immediately He tells His disciples, Go therefore, in light of the fact that I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, I'm telling you to go therefore in light of that authority to all of the nations of the earth to baptize them and to teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And then He says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So, sandwiched in between this command to go and to make disciples is the fact that He has all the authority that exists everywhere in the entirety of the universe, and He'll be with us. And so that takes this impossible mission of being sent out as sheep amongst the wolves and makes it not impossible anymore because of who the sender is. In fact, it's part of Jesus' plan. He tells us in that passage that this impossibility of the mission is actually going to get you into places as a disciple that you wouldn't otherwise get in order to proclaim the gospel And then in the next section chapter 10 starting in verse 26 the presumption of the mission is to fear God not man there's lots of things to be afraid of it sounds pretty scary to be sent as a sheep out amongst the wolves I don't relish that thought at all But Jesus tells us, don't don't fear that, fear God. Fear God and let your fear of God be greater than your fear of man. And then in chapter 10, verse 34, He tells us that there is a price to this mission. You can imagine as being sent out as sheep amongst the wolves that there's a difficulty that's implied there. there. There maybe is even some some injury that's implied there in that statement. And the price of this mission, we're told in chapter 10, starting in verse 34, is that it's going to bring division even at the level of your family, the people that you're most close to. That the gospel is going to cause division in family. Because the gospel, it's foolishness, the Bible tells us, to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness to those Who are perishing. The message of the cross is offensive to the prideful. For me to tell you that you have a need that you can't meet on your own, especially as a westerner, that's that's offensive. For me to tell you that you need a help that comes from outside of you, that that's an offensive message. And Jesus tells us that not everybody's going to receive the message. In fact, people are going to be hostile to the message. And that's part of God's plan. That, that there's going to be hostility towards the message. Are you excited for the mission right now? <laughs> After all of this? Are we excited to go out those doors and engage with a culture that's increasingly hostile to the gospel? It, it hasn't been that difficult, in all honesty, up till about now. <laughs> we have not faced, at least here in America, a hostile culture towards the gospel. We, we may be have encountered hostile people here and there, but we haven't really faced a hostile culture. And our culture is quickly becoming hostile to the truth of the gospel. That means that the stakes are higher. And that means that we can begin to relate a little more to what Jesus is telling us here. But what we're going to see today is there's, there's actually a payout to the mission. You need, like all oh, my peas there? That was a lot. I had to... Thesaurus was helpful in this one, all the the Ps, but there's a payout to the the mission here. There's a payout that we have to understand that's coming, but this payout that's coming is not in the here and the now. And really, this this call to engage in the mission from Jesus is an overarching call to live with eternity in view, not not the here and the now. And that's hard for us to do, because as finite beings, we, we can't grasp eternity. We just can't. We're, we're not made to grasp eternity until we become eternal beings. So this side of heaven, we, we can't fathom eternity. We can't fathom from this point forward forever, let alone try to think about from this point forever backwards. That that part blows your mind. We, we can't comprehend that. We're not made to comprehend it. But this call to mission is an overarching call to consider eternity and to consider that that we may not get a reward here and now in this life, but we will, as Christians, get a reward in the life that's to come. And we have to remember that and we have to be reminded of that. So with that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. So this is on the heels of Jesus talking about the division that's going to come even to the level of your family unit, that he's come not to bring peace but a sword. And he says in verse 40 that whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so Jesus starts off this section by talking about receiving. Whoever receives a prophet, whoever receives him, whoever receives a righteous man will receive the according rewards. And and so it begs the question, what is the reward? If If there's a reward involved, I want to know. Think about the things in your life that you've done in order to receive a reward. Even the smallest little thing, what, what, what have you done in order to receive a reward? And I imagine if we pulled the room, and, and we're not, we don't have time, but, but imagine if we went around, you would all have maybe a silly story of something that, like, what would you do for a Klondike bar kind of moment, right? That, that you've done things in order to achieve an end, right? A means to an end. And maybe at times in our lives we've done, you know, kind of silly things to get to something that's important to us. Jesus says, whoever receives you, meaning whoever receives his disciples, those whom he's sending out on the mission. In in this instance in Scripture, he's talking to the twelve. But but this is for you and me too, that whoever receives you, the, the Christian, the disciple, also receives him." receives Jesus and receives Him who sent Him. In other words, receives the Father. And so, in this sentence here, we get a glimpse of what the reward is. The reward at the end of the day is Jesus. Right? The reward is Jesus. And again, I think there can sometimes be somewhat of a disconnect here. I'm all for Jesus being my reward when things are easy. I'm all for... Jesus being my reward when that means I can ask Him for things and he, and he gives me things. I'm all for that. I'm all for Jesus being my reward when it involves grace, me getting things that I don't deserve, or when it involves mercy, me not getting bad things that I rightfully deserve. I'm all about that. You're probably all about that too. But are you about Jesus being your reward when He says, I'm going to send you out as sheep among the wolves? Not so much. I didn't sign up for that necessarily, right? (laughs) Whoever receives the little Christ, whoever receives the Christian receives the Christ, and whoever receives the Christ receives him who sent the Christ, which is the Father. So So this is the reward. right? Christ is the reward. And then he goes on to say that the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. Well, what's, what is the prophet's reward? You ever think about Old Testament prophets? I don't, I don't think he's talking here necessarily specifically about Old Testament prophets, but think about the Old Testament prophets. Their, their job was basically to go from place to place and generally deliver bad news. Their job was basically to call people to repentance everywhere they went. And occasionally that went well, but most of the time it didn't go so well for the Old Testament prophets. If you read the book of Acts, you see Jesus' disciples going out as sheep among the wolves. And and occasionally it went well, but most of the time it was difficult. Sometimes people died because they wouldn't stop talking about Christ. We think about Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They stoned him to death. But in the Bible, when it talks about being stoned, it means they threw rocks at you until you died. I mean, a brutal way to get, like not a quick death probably slow and, and agonizing and painful. And that's, what they, that's what they did to Stephen because he wouldn't shut his mouth. We've talked before, and I won't belabor this today, but all, all, of, all of the disciples, Jesus' disciples, they all died as martyrs because they couldn't stop proclaiming the gospel. We wouldn't say that their lives went well. We certainly wouldn't say that their lives were easy, but Jesus telling us ultimately that He's the reward He's also saying to the one who receives the prophet or the one who receives the one who proclaims God's truth, right? We think of prophet as being a, a spokesperson or a mouthpiece for God. and the one who receives the mouthpiece for God. in other words, the one who responds to the message being spoken by the prophet receives the prophet's reward. And what's the prophet's reward? Jesus. Jesus, not, not trying to give like a, just a past Sunday school answer, but Jesus is the reward. Jesus for eternity is the reward to make the stakes a little bit higher. And so whoever receives or responds to the words of the prophet, receives and responds to the truth of the gospel, receives the reward of the gospel. Jesus, right? Whoever receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive the righteous person's reward. Well, the Bible tells us that nobody's righteous, not one. So there's a little bit of a problem there, right? No, Nobody's righteous except that Christ has made the unrighteous to be righteous, right? So he's saying who, whoever receives the Christian, the one who has been made righteous by Christ, in other words, the one who Receives the one who speaks and receives the one who lives righteously, receives the associated reward, which is, in both instances, Christ. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then the writer goes on to say that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's a difference that we need to understand between belief and faith, they're not the same thing. I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States. What, What does that do for me? Okay, it's a historical fact. No reason to dispute it. I believe that to be true, but I don't have any faith in George Washington. There are many people in this world that would say, I believe that God exists. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter one, like, just look around at creation, and there's no excuse for someone to say that I don't believe that God exists. There's just no excuse for it. Look around, and especially where we live. Look out at the mountains to the west and tell me that, that God doesn't exist. Go go out into the forest and look at the beautiful lakes and the rivers that we have here and tell me that God doesn't exist. Look up at the sky at night and tell me that God doesn't exist. So it's not enough to simply believe that God exists. We're told in the Bible that the demons believe God exists. The key is not only believing that God exists, but that He rewards those who seek Him. And we we see Jesus in this context as He's talking about rewards, assuring His disciples in this difficult mission in which they're about to engage, sheep among the wolves, some of them are going to die in this mission. It's going to be difficult. And He's assuring them that there's a reward in this. And so the question that we have to ask is, do, do we believe that to be true? Do we believe that there's a reward in to the mission in which God is calling us to engage. Do we believe that there's a reward? And not only do we believe that there's a reward, do we believe that this reward is going to be worth it? I think I used an example a couple of weeks ago in saying that that many of us work ourselves for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years to, to build up a retirement so that we can live comfortably in the the back end of our life. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do. I'm just saying at some point in your life, you determined that it was worth it. You determined that it was worth working 40, 50, 60 hours a week to build up to live a comfortable retirement. At some point, something in your brain said, if I do this, I'm going to get that, and it makes sense. And you did it. And good for you for doing it. If we apply that same kind of thinking to our faith and to the mission that God's calling us to engage in, we have to think about, okay, here's what's in front of me. Here's the mission that God's calling me to. It's not always going to be easy. I'm going to face opposition. I'm going to face hostility, especially as, as the culture grows cold to the things of God. Is facing the difficulty now worth it for what's to come later? Is it worth it? The answer should be yes. For every, it's not yes for everybody, and it should be. Is it, is it worth it? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Well, what do you think Stephen would say when he was being stoned? He, he would say, this is worth it. What do you think the disciples would say as each one of them were martyred for their faith? They would say, it's worth it. I think of Romans chapter 12, the very beginning. Of, Paul spends 11 chapters in Romans outlining the truth of the gospel. Right? We're, we're unrighteous, unrepentant sinners, and we need Christ to, to give us His righteousness. We need to be saved uh, from God's wrath, from our own sin. And then he turns this corner into Romans chapter 12 saying, Therefore, in light of the mercies of God, obedience to God is your reasonable act of worship. Reasonable. In other words, in light of who Christ is and what he's done for us, in light of the sinner that I am, if he's done anything for me, if he's saved me, if he's imputed to me a righteousness that's foreign to me, if that's true, the only thing that makes sense is that I would live for Him. It goes on to talk about offering your bodies up as a living sacrifice. And Paul says this is reasonable. In other words, if the Gospel is true, the only thing that makes sense in response to the Gospel is to live the way that Christ calls us to live. If the Gospel isn't true, it doesn't make sense to live the way that Christ calls us to live. But if the Gospel is true, then it's reasonable It makes sense to live the way that Christ has called us to live. And it makes sense to engage in the mission that Christ has called us to engage. And so my question or one of the questions I want to pose to you today is not only do you believe that God exists, I'm assuming by virtue of you being here that you believe God exists. But do you believe that He's a rewarder of those that seek Him? And do you believe that the reward that He offers to those that seek Him is enough? Do you believe that the the reward He offers to those who seek Him is worth it? Is it worth it to take an unpopular message to a hostile culture for what Christ will give us in the end? Is it worth it? So He talks about, in verses 40 and 42, Matthew, about the reward in receiving. Those who have heard the message, those who have had the Gospel proclaimed to them, and those who have received it, that they receive this reward. They receive the reward of Christ as they draw near to Him. But then we get into verse 42 and He says something that kind of doesn't seem to fit with the rest of it. He says, Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because He is a disciple, truly I say to you, He will by no means lose His reward. So so evidently there were some little ones around. We didn't know about them until this moment here. <laughs> That's the weird part for me. It's like, where do where they come from? But evidently there's some little, little ones there. And Jesus says, whoever gives a cup of cold water to these little ones because he's my disciple, this is key, because he's my disciple, then that disciple won't lose his reward. So, so what is he saying here? So this is, kind of a second group of people. We have kind of two groups of people here, but but one reward. The the two groups of people are those who are hearing the gospel and, and responding affirmatively to the gospel, putting their faith in Christ and drawing near to Him that they receive this reward. But then there's this other group of people, the disciples, those who are already converts, those who are already disciples. And He tells them that if you give these little ones even a cup of cold water, and I think Jesus might be like, I don't think it's about the water. I think, he's, I think he's talking about disciples doing something for someone who can't do anything for them. He says, even if you were to give a cup of cold water because you are my disciple. In other words, because of your faith. Remember, it, it's impossible to please God without faith. And so this giving of a cup of cold water to someone who can't do anything for them, I think we can read into that as an act of faith. Right, if you do even the simplest thing in life, such as giving a little kid a cup of cold water, and you do so in faith, there's a reward to be had there as well. And it's not a different reward. It's like we're all, we're all working towards the same reward here. right? Maybe two different groups of people, but, but one reward, and that reward is Christ. <clears throat> I read a quote in my social media feed this week. This, was, this, this guy's not a Christian, um, so he's not speaking from a Christian perspective, but he says this. He says that man or mankind is unhappiest when he's making himself and the world around him better. Create something of your own. It doesn't matter what, it just matters that it's yours. An irony of life is this. Filling yourself through consumption makes you empty and emptying yourself through creation makes you full. Again, this, this guy's not a Christian, but I think he's on to something here. It may, it may be, maybe he doesn't get this fully right, but but he's on to something in his thinking. He's on to something when he says that we're happiest when we're making the world around us better. And I, I would submit to you that, that Jesus isn't necessarily concerned, at least primarily, with our happiness. I think Jesus wants us to have joy, right? And and, and find our happiness in Him, but but I, but I don't know that that's His primary concern for the Christian. But but again, this this guy's on to something. That there's something about thinking outside of ourselves. There's something about serving and doing for others. That just that's Christ-like, right? What what did Christ do when He came to the earth? He came to be served, right? He came to serve, right? He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's something about the little Christ that just makes sense when we approach life the same way. When we approach life thinking outside of ourselves. And this guy in his quote talks about creating something and but 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 I would submit that that it's actually the doing for others, serving others, because of our faith, right, that brings us Sometimes the greatest joy in life that we can have. And I think he's right in his irony of life filling yourself through consumption makes you empty. We're, we're not meant as Christians to just be constant consumers. We're, we're not meant, as we consider our involvement in church, to be involved in church as a consumer. I'm not saying that there aren't things that, that you know, we, we gather together and you come here and, and we do consume things, right, right? We consume the Word. We consume fellowship, but, but we're not meant primarily to be consumers. And I think this guy gets it right when he says that that leads to emptiness. Constant consuming leads to emptiness. He says emptying yourself through creation makes you full. I would say emptying yourself through service Makes you full, and sometimes we create things in service to those around us, right? Think about your vocations and your jobs, right? A lot, a lot of times, our, our vocation is creating something or doing something that ultimately somebody will benefit from. Th- that most jobs have have that aspect to them. You're doing something that benefits. You're serving somebody in some way at your job, whether you're serving your employer or you're serving your coworkers or you're producing a product that people will eventually purchase and use in their homes. There's something that's hardwired in us as human beings that that constant consuming makes us empty, and, and a constant emptying of ourselves makes us full. Because that looks an awful lot like the Christ. And so what I think Jesus might be saying in verse 42 here, is even the simplest act done for for somebody who cannot repay you. If it's done in faith, there's a reward for that for the disciple, for the follower of Christ. There's a reward. And again, it begs the question, what's the reward? The reward is Christ himself. The reward doesn't necessarily come in the here and the now. Is it rewarding to serve people? Yes. Do do we get to enjoy some of that reward now? Yes. Is that the ultimate reward? No. Our ultimate reward for a life lived in faith is that one day our faith will become sight. And that will be with Christ for all of eternity. This eternity that we can't even begin to fathom. That's the reward. That's the reward. I think about Hebrews chapter 11, and I think I referenced this a couple of weeks ago in my sermon, but I'm going to reference it again. Hebrews eleven, thirteen to 16. Well, we'll just maybe give, us, give some context here. Hebrews 11 talks about all these people throughout biblical history that, that live with faith. Talks about some, some big names that we would know. Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and Samson. Talks about other people whose names that we don't even know and had some of the most horrific, difficult things happen to them because of their faith. And all of these people, the, the big names that we know that did great things in the name of God, and the names that we don't know who were tortured for their faith. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, it says, "...that they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So it's talking about these, these people who in a lot of ways, we would say their lives didn't end very well. And he says that they, they all died in faith. This this hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11. They They all died in faith. They were all looking to the promise, looking forward to the promise. They didn't receive the promise in the here and the now. But they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In other words, they acknowledged as Christians, this is not their home. They acknowledged a home that is yet to come. So they had an eternal perspective. He says, people like this, they they make it clear. They make it clear that that they're not of this earth, that they are of heaven. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that if these people had been thinking of the here and the now, if they had been thinking of the land from which they came, if they would have been thinking of the here and the now, they would have had opportunity to go back to their creature comforts. They would have had opportunity to go back to their house they would have had opportunity to go back to their family. They would have opportunity to go back and just work a day job that wasn't hard. But it says, as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. So in other words, they, they weren't thinking of the comforts of this life. They were thinking of the comfort in the life to come. And because of that, it says that God is not ashamed to be called their God. In other words, the the reward, the reward piece is there. He has prepared for them a city. When I think of this, I also make maybe a little more modern day example. I also think about missionary Jim Elliott. I mentioned Jim Elliott last week when we closed the service. And Jim Elliott, if you don't know who he is, I I didn't know this. I, I just was refreshing myself on his story last night. He's actually from Portland, Oregon. I didn't know that. He's a, he's a missionary back in the 50s, the 40s and the 50s. Um, but but he's, he's one of us, a fellow Oregonian. And he answered the call to go to the mission field. And uh, there's a whole long story. You can, you can Google it and read Wikipedia if you want to know his whole story. It's a really inspiring story. Um, but he and four other men were trying to reach this group of uh, Ecuadorian Indians, uh, this particular tribe that had been an unreached tribe and and they they did work for years trying to you know make their plan and trying to get inroads into this tribe and they they finally got some inroads into this tribe and through just a complete misunderstanding uh, that John Piper would actually call God's sovereign hand at work uh, Jim Elliott and four people that were with him were killed by this Indian tribe kind of a tragic story He had a 10-month-old child, uh, had only been married to his wife for a few years. And his wife, faced with the choice of being bitter that her husband got killed in the mission field, would later go back to this tribe of Ecuadorian Indians, and they would come to faith in Christ. Remarkable story. (laughs) Every reason for her to just go home and be bitter for the rest of her life, mad at God, mad at these people that killed her husband, And it was kind of a a senseless murder because it had to do with, with a complete... Like, it didn't have to be because of this misunderstanding. But on this side of the story, we would look at that and say, God's hand had to be in that. This guy's life came to a tragic, untimely, at least untimely in our thinking, untimely end. But God used that and used his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, to go back to this tribe and to see people of this tribe come to faith in Christ who, who killed her husband. <laughs> but that, that's, a, that's a modern day, in my mind, Hebrews 11, kind of people that are living for a better land. People that are living for a better home. People who died in faith. People who were seeking a reward that was greater than what we can have here and now. And I think because of where we live, because of the part of the world that we live in, we, we we can amass some pretty big rewards. I'm not begrudging anybody for having some success in this life. But but the Bible tells us there's something better to come. As good as it can be here, as good as we can do here, there's something better to come. And the quote that I closed out the service last week I'm going to use again from Jim Elliott who said, He wrote this in one of his journals. He said that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Whatever we amass in this life, we're not taking it with us, plain and simple. It's all going to perish. And it's foolish as Christians who believe the gospel It's it's foolish for Christians who would believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's foolish of us to set that aside so that we can amass whatever we amass in this life without consideration for the life that's to come. And so my, my challenge to us this morning is that we would consider as best as we're able eternity and the reward that is eternity with Christ as those who follow him. And that we would consider our faith as we engage those around us. That we would consider it an act of faith not only to pray for people that we know, that they would come to know Christ, but that it would also be considered an act of faith as we engage people with the gospel of Christ. The famous quote that you've all heard that says, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. I'm going to t- It's always necessary to use words. There's never an instance when preaching the gospel doesn't require words. Right? It's all well and good that we can live lives that, that show people who Christ is. Do, do that all the time, everywhere you go. But it's always necessary to use words to communicate the truth of the gospel. Always. Always. And at the end of the day, there's a reward for our living in faith. There's a reward for us drawing near to God and seeking Him. There's a reward to our obedience to God, and that reward is eternity with Him. And if that's true, then what's reasonable for us, what makes sense for us, is that we would live out that faith so not only people can see it, but that people can hear about our faith. And if you think about it, how, how is it that you came to know Christ? I, I would venture to guess maybe everyone here that knows Christ came to know Christ because somebody said something to you. I, I would be shocked if you just said, I had this really good neighbor that I never spoke to, but you know he just lived a good life and I was so compelled to come to Christ because of that. It, it, cool if that's you, but that can't be common, Right? And so, so I, I want us to be challenged with this kind of overarching call to mission that started back in chapter 9 and that concludes the conclusion of chapter 10, that we would consider how we might engage in the mission, how we would consider doing so as an act of faith, an act of obedience, and a reasonable act of worship because of who God is and because of what He's done for us. And that we would consider the legacy of people behind us Hebrews 11, people like Jim and Elizabeth, Elliott. There, there's a long list of, of names that could go on and on and on and on of people who have lived in this manner and that we would consider that legacy and consider how God would have us engage. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Father, we're thankful this morning, um, thankful to know that our salvation is dependent on you and not upon us. Thankful to know that you will not lose any that the Father has given you. Thankful to know that we uh, are secure in our relationship with you. And I would pray uh, for those of us here this morning that are followers of Christ, that we would be reminded of these truths, that you would help us uh, as we engage in the mission to which you've called us, that you would help us to be people that not only live lives that reflect your goodness, but that we would also be people that proclaim with our mouths, the truth that you've given us to proclaim. And we pray that through our living and through our proclaiming that people would come to know you. Pray that you would uh, grow our church even, not, not for the sake of numbers, but that you would grow our church with people that are coming to faith in Christ. That you would help us to engage in the mission. That you would help us to not be fearful of the mission and that when we are, we would look to you. And That you would help us Uh, to see fruit uh, of the mission in the salvation of sinners. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.